dear viewers and listeners, welcome to the latest episode of Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. I remain Jason Johnson Yellen. He, pointing to the correct side, remains Joshua Hatton. It is funny, though, because even though I do this, to mm -hmm. my right on my screen, my eyes are going to the left so that I can see you. So, Oh, Ooh, yeah. there's some cognitive dissonance there. There you go. See, it's you like to... rubbing your tummy and patting your head at the same time. Yeah, exactly. But you get it yeah, after I... a while. You get it. I taught myself to do that at a very early age, so I can teach myself to get this right as we go. I promised, well, here, regular viewers and listeners don't need this explained to them, but if you're encountering us for the first time, we will endeavor to discuss a whiskey-related news story. We will riff, we will chat, we'll have back and forth. We will taste a little whiskey mm -hmm. uh, along the way. And we will get out of here in a tight 35 minutes. Now, with that said, <laughs> the last time we met on Extra Extra, you and I, Joshua, were discussing blended malts and right. the, the rise or the purported rise of this category within our world of whiskey. And I had implored our YouTube viewers, as well as our podcast listeners, but I'd implored our YouTube viewers to put some comments underneath our recording mm -hmm. and that we would actually circle back to them. So in the spirit of inviting our viewers into this discussion, we actually have three comments that we wanted to, to give some time to and, and maybe have some quick feedback on as well. So Joshua, do you have one in mind that you wanna kick off with? Yeah, sure. Um, so it's interesting, you know, we, we post both the video and audio to YouTube. So <laughs> some, of the, some of the comments came in on the, the audio portion and then some came in on the video. Um, I'm gonna read the first one from Hopefully I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, Bill Monteith. Sounds good. Six one. And Bill says, and again, this is back to this, this idea of, of, of malts, uh, blended malts, blended whiskey. He says, I think the key theme here is chasing flavor, which I really like, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something mm -hmm. we discussed. It's, it's creating new flavors through blends, blends of whiskey from various distilleries. Anyway. I'll continue. Mm -hmm. I truly love blended malts and have plowed through most of Douglas Lang's regional malt series. I'm in my late 50s and relatively late to the passion that is single malt. So I have still so much more to explore and am still trying to find my flavor niche. I mm -hmm. also like the idea of blends having a story. And also a little more transparency on what's in the bottle. I like that a lot. Mm. And then, uh, and then this comment I think is is really good too. He says, "Let's not forget the Japanese who are blenders extraordinaire. We should appreciate the skill involved involved in blending, but I still prefer batch variation." <laughs> It is that world of batch variation that holds our interest, isn't it? It's that kind of, I love it when, well, I, I certainly admire when a blender can have a consistent profile mm -hmm. and pull in different casts to represent 
that overall profile. But I also like having those little tweaks, you know, like as much as, yes, it is a single malt and not a blended malt, but thinking about people who are into Ardbeg, especially Ardbeg 10, and yeah. like tasting L code against L code, you know, this batch of Ardbeg 10 differs from that batch of Ardbeg 10. Right. And that's all coming from a single distillery, right? let alone bringing yeah. in you know, variation from another distillery to, to try and uh, work within the palate. Well, I mean, to that point, though, actually, I think what you said really reinforces something that I tried to tell people. And it's that single malts, whether it's the Glenfiddich 12 or the Ardbeg 10, <laughs> they're still blends. 100%. They're just blends of single of, of malt whiskey from a single distillery. It's still a batched product of a multitude of casks, and there's a blender to create that final flavor profile. It's simply not called a blend because you're not bringing in whiskeys from multiple distilleries. It's whiskey from a single distillery, but in essence, it's still a blend. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's interesting as well. We've talked previously about it's easy to think Glenfiddich 12 only lives in a bottle at your local liquor store, right? <laughs> right? The, the, the fact that it's it's distilled day in and day out, it goes into cask, it sits in warehouses. We're talking 12 years variance from mm -hmm. what's mm -hmm. going into bottle now to what's going into cask now. And so yet every... Yeah. And every time you go to that store, well, I'm buying Glenfiddich 12 in this particular instance, right? Yeah. There's no reason why that should taste like the last bottle of Glenfiddich 12 you purchased, aside from the expertise happening by a master blender associated with a distillery who then says, no, this is our flavor profile. This is our recipe. Yep. Remarkable yep. stuff. And, and I just don't think we think about it enough. No, re re really well put. And it's it's a challenge to keep that consistency going. They, re they really are artists. I have to say, when Bill mentions the Douglas Lang line of blended malts there, uh, yeah. after our last episode went live, Jess and I were talking. And Jess had said, you know, you and Joshua, you're, you're forever bringing up Compass Box. And then you think everything flows from Compass Box. For us in the UK, it, Douglas Lang. Douglas Lang is on everybody's yeah. lips. And as much as you know, you and I certainly talk privately about Douglas Lang, and I, I feel like you actually mentioned it in the last uh, episode when we were discussing this, but it was yeah. interesting hearing that additional quality from Jess, which is that's the starting point. And, and I'll be honest, I can only speak for myself, it's never the starting point for me. My mm -hmm. starting point is always Compass Box. It just is. Um, yeah. And then flows from that you and me both but i've got big pete on my shelf i've got some black right? Bull 12 on my shelf you know right. it, it's yeah um, i think big pete is a is a huge mention there um i think that's spot on um oh that's a good little taste we will come back to that whiskey in a little bit can i, yeah, I can i read a, a second comment yeah well, oh, jason that's so good you're so good to do that go ahead did you yeah. download it to a PDF, print it out on your dot matrix printer? The, this this one I used chalk and slate. 
and the slate is actually hanging behind my video camera here. So I'm just going to look straight through you while I read this. I thought you used a pterodactyl and slate. Totally different. Okay, got it. <laughs> okay, so this one comes from Ian Bruce, who we have mentioned on One Nation Under Whiskey previously. Good to hear from Ian Bruce. And so Ian says, great conversation. From my own perspective and in my own opinion, I see more blends, be them blended malt or scotch, being added by the likes of Loch Lomond and Thompson Brothers as they see the new consumer to whiskey, parentheses, not only younger people, Looking at you, Bill Monteith, that's a great comment from Ian. Uh, this new consumer wanting to get into the market. But I think it's a multifaceted subject. And then he has a question. So does current expenditure costs for a blender come into the reason? Does it involve the, the fact we have extra stock that they want to release? Is it attractive for those who want to make cocktails with a really decent whiskey? I also believe there may be something to do with the current prices and availability of casts in the industry, which mm -hmm. may influence this current title change toward decently presented ABV and naturally colored blends. Colored with a U. Made me feel very comfortable. <laughs> so there's a number of questions at play there, Joshua. What's to you? Well, it, it was the last part of Ian Bruce's comment that, that grabbed my attention because it's something I wanted to bring up in the episode. It's just, we only had 35 minutes to, to mm -hmm. discuss the topic. And that was this idea of, you know, the, the increasing cost of casks on the broker side of things mm -hmm. and how that could potentially affect blends moving forward. Now, part of the reason I didn't bring it up, is I'm trying to rationalize in my head. Well, I'm trying to make the, the two ideas make sense, right? When you've got, and, and I'll just, I'll use this example simply because it was, it was an example from the pre previous episode. Yeah. When you think of McLean's nose, which is uh, a blend that's about to hit the U S market and it's just hit the, the UK and EU markets you know, at like 30, 35 pounds a bottle, somewhere around there. Adelphi is a small independent company that owns the Arden American distillery. Now, granted, they have Arden American. So I imagine mm -hmm. they're putting some of their own <laughs> distillate in there to bring the overall cost down. But anything else that they're purchasing, you know, we see what the prices are from brokers and, and the cost of casks of whiskey have gone up tremendously so you know I, I think at some point if this trend continues where the costs of casks you know trend upward and upward and upward these prices may change somewhere down the road it's it's yeah it's tough to say this is the reason why i didn't bring it up because i don't know how to rationalize the or like have these two thoughts make sense to one another how how those jibe well i don't know if it's necessarily gonna speak to to what you're you're presenting here but clearly grabbing yourself a new make contract is imperative to pull well, that's that true. off yeah that's a good if you're point. a delphi yeah. and you've had a you know an established you know albeit recent history not, not as as recent as us for example but 
But if you're, you know, if you're established like they are, the hope would be you got a new make contract or two or three before those started going away as well. And so it, it really is this shifting landscape right across the industry mm. that's that's affecting current decisions, current models. And and as much as, gosh, you know, listening uh, next Wednesday to One Nation Under Whiskey where we talked to, to Holly Sidewand and, and Anthony Levinson, but when we interviewed Holly and Anthony this, this morning, Holly's saying, I'm somewhat worried by the amount of whiskey being produced. And then Anthony's talking about an inability to stay up to date with even just one line of products from a single distillery, right? There's a lot of liquid out there, an awful lot. And consumers are starting to slow down, part of our conversation with, with Anthony and Holly. And if you take a slowdown in consumer buying with this uptick in producer production, you're going to get a, to a moment when casks come back down to earth again. Cask prices reset uh, somewhat from their current highs. And then you're back it's, to having an entire palette to play with, right? Uh, an entire palette to paint from. Is there a chance that we can fast forward to that period in time when like the world is back to normal and cask prices are like, have anything to do with what the industry looks like is yeah. meant to look like, it, I should say. But it's, it's coming and this. This is really is a, a conversation you and I maybe should be having privately, but you know, come on, if you've taken the time to listen or watch this, I'm okay. Giving you a little bit of the inside scoop, but I'm now hearing from more producers who are talking about let's revisit this conversation in three months, six mm -hmm. months. Mm -hmm. Whereas it was kind of we were on a roller coaster and it wasn't clear where it was going, when it was ending. Yeah. The the tone of those conversations is starting to change a little bit. And it you know, they haven't changed in this moment, which is exactly when you and I would like them to change. Hell, we'd like them to have changed, you know, three years ago. But they are changing. There is a, there is a, a, a change in the tides, as they say. So, uh, yeah. Fingers, cro change. fingers crossed. Sea change. Yeah, right. 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 All right. One, one more comment, and then, then we've got another couple of bits of news to get to. Yeah, now that this this one is a slightly longer one, but this comes from Dr. Matt Bishop, and we expect we expect Always his good. comments and questions to be as as long winded as some of our episodes. So <laughs> he has friends in us. <laughs> uh, so Dr. Matt says, "Surely I can't be the only one to comment here." Sit back, Jason and Joshua, as here comes an opinion. Let me take I'm holding two on. recent <laughs> let me take two recent blend releases as examples that highlight my thoughts on this matter. One, Campbelltown Loch from Springbank, and two, McLean's Nose from Ardner Merkin. Now, for some general context, my thoughts. A whiskey enthusiasts currently are struggling to get core releases from the current popular from the current popular distilleries <laughs> as often 
These are snapped up for the secondary market or by ultra-enthusiastic collectors that camp outside the distributor shops. And B, the younger generation that have only known the ready availability of single malts are easily led by bright, shiny new toys. Hmm. So my thought on this, sorry, let me, I'm terrible with reading. So my thought is this, are distilleries such as those listed above simply looking for new ways to supply their customer base? And because we are living in a period of financial instability, value for money whiskey is a good place to start. I was even contemplating getting a bottle of Campbelltown Loch as my favorite Springbank 15 is unobtainable currently. I, <laughs> I feel you, Dr. Matt. Um, for the Gen Z and millennials, they aren't carrying any cheap, nasty blends baggage like Jason. Um, they just see whiskey from Springbank or Ardna Merkin at the price of around a skinny Odie Latte Mocus from the local artisan barista. <laughs> he, he, he closes it out with, uh, shall we call this era Blends 2.0 and think of it as a rebirth of the category? Here endeth my opinion, Dr. Matt. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so... So I, I, I love this idea. Well, first off, the idea that, that Gen Zs are getting to the age where they can start drinking is freaking me out. But, but secondarily, this, this idea of, of blends 2.0, the idea of blends coming back, there being some sort mm -hmm. of a renaissance of, yeah. of well-respected blends at good pricing, man, that would be tremendous. That would because I think it would, if Holly is correct in that she can't believe how much whiskey is being produced and we need to be drinking more, what a great way to bring other drinkers into the category through well-made, well-priced blends. But I like if that happened now, I'd be a little nervous. Like I, I'd like to see this yeah. happen a bit and then, and then bring them in. <laughs> but I think a, a perfect example of that is I mentioned Woven in the the last episode oh, yeah yep and woven definitely fits with what dr matt is saying here about blends 2.0 interestingly and, and i mm. apologize i forget the name of the chat but the chat behind the blending at woven mm -hmm. had come out in, in some of their later iterations and said if we were making woven number one number two number three right now Mm -hmm. A, we couldn't sell it for the price we previously sold it at. And to be quite honest, we couldn't make it for the price that casts are being sold for. Yeah. That's one year apart, two yes. years apart. Wow. <laughs> like yeah. there's yep. there's no turnaround period there. And he is saying, yeah, we, we can't afford to make what we made a year ago, two years ago. So, so to the idea of being a producer who who now looks at the scarcity of their own products on shelves, mm. I think there is a natural response there to say, okay, 
how do we put something on a shelf? And one of the ideas that you and I played around in the last episode that, that I don't think is overly, is particularly well received, uh, mm-hmm. and, and this could very well be my point, not our point, correct me if I'm wrong, is blended malt serves as an entry to single malt. And mm-hmm. and in listening to Dr. Matt Bishop there, in listening to, to Bill Monteith previously, and, and in talking to, to Jess about it as well, mm-hmm. it seems like nobody thinks blended scotch is an entry to blended malt, which is an entry to single malt. They mm-hmm. are different drinkers. They're, they're different people who go to different parts of the yeah. shelves. And so that... The thought of Springbank wanting something on a shelf, yes, but something on a shelf for the Springbank 15 drinker who can't get Springbank 15, I don't think so. That doesn't that doesn't yeah. resonate. Yeah, in- interesting. Do you so I, I like what you said, right? Where that that blends aren't the entry to blended malts aren't the entry to single malts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you do you think there's any correlation? Do you do you think that maybe single malt drinkers will do blended malts? Right back to uh, back to Bill's comment about about seeking flavors. Right, what a great way to create other flavors is through blends. And if you like that malt presence. Like, have you already been on malts, single malts, and now you want to go to blended malts to explore that flavor? Well, then that that's what I wonder in listening to you're right to pull out Bill in that one and, and thinking about Dr. Matt here. If that is what blends 2.0 is about, you're going to get something in a blended malt that you're not necessarily getting in a single malt. And to think of that blended malt taking you up the ladder to single malt, I think the response would be why, mm. right? You're, you're getting something from that blended malt that isn't in single malt. And, I, mm. and I, the part mm. that you and I left open in the last episode was our own interest in going looking at, at blended malts and saying, okay, what is on offer here? You know, we were excited by that Weems bottling, the way the notes were described was kind of oh, like, yeah, yeah that yeah. that seems like something we might be into and might that might be worth looking for. That's a different journey than a single malt journey. Um, sure. And so, yeah, we, we might need to think about these things differently. You know, is, is it any different than single malt whiskey people starting to like rum? Is it any different than bourbon folk starting to explore cognacs and armagnacs right Right? like one not a gateway to the other it's just it's just flavor we're just exploring flavors which makes me think of mezcal which makes me think of what's in my glass but before we get there (laughs) before we get there um the 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 biggest the biggest whiskey news for our circle and, and our friends and and the news that we were getting texts about and emails about is our our very dear friend Matt Hoffman has announced that he is leaving Westland Distillery. And in talking about American single malt whiskey and the rise and the codification and the kind of making it cool by making it nerdy, 
Like mm-hmm. Matt is in the you know insert Star Wars Millennium Falcon reference here, right? He's in that seat. He's in the Han oh, Solo seat. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He he right? did that run in like less than twelve parsecs, <laughs> I think. He, um, he has aged more than twelve parsecs in his time with Wesley. He actually though. has. He, yeah, oh, I think he spent about twelve parsecs with with Westland before he, he finally left. Yeah, it's you know for for those of you that aren't familiar, um, you know, just thinking potentially of some of our overseas viewers and, and listeners, you know, Westland was one of the the earlier distilleries to to help pioneer this this American single malt category, and when they built the distillery, it was purpose built to focus solely on single malt which was yeah. quite unusual at the time you know you yeah. had plenty of other distilleries that may have produced a malt whiskey but it was just a part and parcel of what they did you know yep. they may have focused on on bourbon or rum or something else but westland was one of the first ones and they said you know we're we're going to take this brewer's approach to producing single malt whiskey let's focus not just on the final product but what goes into the that that fermentation, that that beer, that wash we're gonna make? And you know, in speaking with Matt when he told us the news, you know, before it all, you know, got blew up everywhere, you know, we were reminiscing about the fact that he was sort of starting his journey with um I'll, I forget his his friend's name, Lamb, Emerson Lamb. Emerson? Yep. Emerson Lamb, you know, around the same time that we were starting our journey with Single Cast Nation. And it, it's been a joy to 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 watch his business grow as our business grew. And, and you know, we shared a bit of a an origin story. And so I'm going to share a little Westland <laughs> with you and, and with the and with the listener, Jason, or viewer, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Just just remarkable. You know, we just gosh what and two episodes ago three episodes ago on one nation under whiskey had a sit down with matt in the skagit valley discussing solemn discussing how they've established a flagship product and and these annual releases you know we yeah. we were at the wsu bread lab with him and and having conversations there and his excitement around grain i I haven't had to imagine a Westland without Matt Hoffman, but I also haven't had to imagine a Matt Hoffman without Westland. And you know, yeah, go ahead. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. So, so I'm glad you brought this up because I I've thought about this, and I. I love Matt. You know I love Matt. But in the end, I don't know how much it's going to matter because Westland doesn't live on Matt's shoulders. Matt helped create the liquid. Meanwhile, there's other people who have been distilling alongside Matt, who have been mashing alongside Matt and fermenting alongside Matt and have been blending alongside Matt. And, you know, similar to Balcones when Chip Tate left, you know, there were so many people saying, oof, what's Balcones going going to look like? What's it going to taste like? Meanwhile, it was the same thing. He wasn't a one-man show. It was a distillery that had 
other people making it just as good as he was. He just happened to be the face, just like Matt Mm -hmm. was the face of Westland. So from a flavor standpoint, I don't think it's going to matter at all. We're going to miss his 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 big red beard and his and his flannel um, shirt. But but I think the I think the liquid (laughs) will remain excellent. I don't see any changes going on. Right. It, It was a. It was a company thing. It wasn't a Matt Hoffman thing. Well, and well, speaking of company thing, right? Like Steve Hawley, a a, a good dear friend, left mm. Westland last year. Chris Riesbeck, mm-hmm. good dear friend, left Westland last year. Matt Hoffman, good dear friend, leaves Westland this year. That's that's hard to miss that trend. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes me wonder, you know, we've, you know, I, I've tried to be pretty good about, you know, raising a glass to the, the big uh, corporate giants taking over distilleries. Okay, let's see what you do before I say there's a terrible thing. The Balconies that you just mentioned, the Balconies example, right? Purchased mm-hmm. by Diageo. Okay, Balconies fans, don't panic just yet. Mm-hmm. Let's see what Diageo does first. See where they go. Remy? Okay, you've got Westland, you've got Brookladdy. Let's see where you go. Seemed like, from an outsider's perspective, seemed like it was going along fine. People were doing what they wanted to do. And now you've got three exits in the space of a year. I don't know what that means to corporate culture. I don't know what that means for Remy having their hands off and letting operations happen. I, I just don't know. I'm an outsider. But, yeah. but this news to an outsider... Doesn't look great. Listen, uh, Remy bought Brooklotti. Jimmy McEwen left Brooklotti. Adam Hannett continues to make great Brooklotti whiskey. Um, sure. Should people be cautious? Why not? But uh, I, I don't know. I maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm not thinking about it properly. But I. I'm not very concerned. You know, there's other people behind the brand, Shane, right? Um, who who did does a lot of the blending and I, I just maybe I'm feeling more confident about it than I should. <laughs> I just I I look at the Brooklotti example and I and I think they continue to do good things despite the the team that left them shortly after the the purchase of the distillery and, and I just feel these guys will pull through as well. So there you go. I'm going to be the optimist, wow. Jason. Corporate America has broken you, Joshua. This is this is making me sad for you. Blink once if we need an intervention. I'm gonna. Oh, hold on. I'm in. I'm in the wrong tab. <laughs> I got myself. I got myself lost over here. Um, speaking of WSU Bread Lab. Speaking of of WSU research. Um, a study has come out from WSU. Uh, WSU was the lead on it. It's also Michigan State University. Uh, WSU is Washington State University. Um, Michigan State University is on this. Oregon State University is on this as well. Listeners, viewers can find this at journal. is called Foods, F-O-O-D-S. The title is impact of dilution on whiskey aroma, colon, 
a sensory and volatile composition analysis. Oh, wow. Now, Joshua, Joshua, they, they go into scientific breakdown. They had single malts. They had bourbons. They had rice. They had blends. Mm. They were doing sensory analysis using black Glencairns, right? So not seeing the color on things. You've just got your nose and your palate to go from. And what they found was a little bit of water does your whiskey good. But guess what, Joshua? It dilutes it. (laughs) Uh something less obvious I, I what does it do jason too much water is a bad thing <laughs> wait a second <laughs> who paid this grant to to so, to, to, so, to confirm what everybody knew everybody they received knew. no external funding for this study it so says it's just it at the end of, of the paper <laughs> no, no external funding. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. A little bit of water is good until, what I like is they came up with a percentage, until 20%. At 20%, all of the whiskies within a category, so all of the single malts, all of the bourbons, mm-hmm. all started to smell like one another. That was the that was the takeaway. The, the individual components that make you you yeah. go away at twenty percent dilution. So, I have a problem with this, and the problem that I have with this is when you talk to the likes of the Balvenies, David Stewart, or one hundred percent, yeah, right, Be- Becky, they, 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 Becky at Catoctin Creek right. does the same thing. Becky at Catoctin, right? They, they bring it down to twenty percent alcohol. Uh, Dickie P. Uh, you know, Richard Patterson from the Downmore brings it down to he does 35. They were the first That's people I thought of when I heard this. So these professors came to their scientists. conclusions. Scientists. All right. These scientists. But they don't necessarily teach, right? Okay. So they came to their conclusions. Meanwhile, the people who design whiskey go to the ABV that they say is not good to ensure they're creating a good whiskey. So how do these two jibe? How do, how do they live in the two in the same world together? So it's we asked this question of, of Stephanie McLeod as well. It makes no sense to me to take any whiskey to 20%, right? 20% alcohol. Right, like, to enjoy it, like to, to enjoy it as a drink. The answer, even to get, yes. but even to get anything from it, right? Eighty percent water is yeah, just, is eighty percent right. water, right? And so, yeah, yeah, I've, I've I've never understood how that practice actually works. Now, I do believe the practice is about nose rather than palate, so it is taking it to 20% alcohol for, for you know, the, the nasal test, the olfactory uh, mm. test that happens here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily going to cross the palate at that. So 
listen, if you're David Stewart and you've been doing this for 50, 50 plus years, and you're Dickie P and you've been doing this for 50 plus years, I, I'm on board with your process, whatever gets you where you're going. But the study actually talks about the enjoyment of whiskey. And so they, yeah, they suggest in this okay. paper yeah. that's their research speaks to the success of the giant ice cube. So the giant ice cube ever so slightly dilutes your drink while you're imbibing, enjoying, but it's not diluting to the point where you're losing aroma and losing flavor. But then you hear other people talking about the use of ice cubes numbing the mm-hmm. the, 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 the the scent and the flavor of it by up to yep. 30%. And so, granted, dilution is going to do one thing, but the affecting that whiskey by temperature does another thing as well, right? Just same with wines, right? Certain wines are, are drunk at a certain temperature to increase to increase the overall flavors you're getting from it. So, again, here's yeah. here's another sort of two things that don't seem to well. Make sense. What they cover in they cover in the paper is they actually talk about compa- compounds that are hydrophilic and compounds that are hydrophobic. And so then you get certain compounds that come out based on one treatment and one set of compounds that you lose based on the same treatment. So if you were looking for smoke, heavy phenols, you wouldn't want to dilute. You wouldn't want to chill. If you were looking for fruity esters, you would want to dilute. You would want to chill. And so one retreats and one comes to the fore because one's hydrophilic and one's hydrophobic. So I, I thought that was a nice interplay uh, within the within the, the study, really. So are you suggesting that when we're drinking Isla whiskeys, we're hanging out with hydrophobes? Like I am 100% against hydrophobes. Uh, phenolic compounds are hydrophobic, yes. <laughs> So they actually they actually go back into solution. I don't know. Go read the paper. It is well I, I worth. Was, I, I was making a really dumb joke. I was making no. I know. I always joke. just try to make sense of your dumb jokes. That's that's what <laughs> I feel my role. Is. I try to give them some some legitimacy. Um, listen, we we do have to get out of here. We do have our eyes on the clock, and we are talking type thirty five. But you and I discussed this Westland, right? To bring this back to our friend Matt Hoffman and the good state mm-hmm. of Washington. And this is a Jack Rose Dining Saloon exclusive. As you can see, it is cask 2543, and it is Washington Pale Malt. I, um, did we discuss this? Is it mature? Yeah, yeah so- total. So it says total maturation, seven years, cask type mezcal. It's not clear. My guess is it's a, it's a mezcal finish, depending on how we define that term. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure how to um, how to figure that out. But yeah, you know, earlier before you mentioned oh what we were drinking, you had said, you know, speaking of alternate spirits, that makes me think of mezcal, and that makes me think of mm, of this. Yes. So yes, so yeah, th- yes. this was you know for for those who who watch this and listen to this, who also listen to One Nation Under Whiskey. Uh, this was what we were drinking in the, in the last episode, this cask 2543. And it is just remarkable liquid. That that day that we recorded that episode, Jason, I ended up that evening, 
I had three solid pours of it. It was just, <laughs> and it was, it wasn't because I was trying to get from point A to point B. I couldn't yeah. stop looking for flavor. And at, and at points yeah. it felt like the mezcal was over the top. And then at other points it felt like that Washington pale malt was just like screaming with, with citrus and, and just, you know, lovely pear drops and things like that. It was just, it just seemed to to be changing faces every time I sipped on it. And I really, really loved that about this whiskey. Yeah. For me, it has one of the best presentations of pepperiness that I've mm. ever had. Mm. And so many scotchies that I love, it's fresh crack pepper, right? Fresh ground pepper. This mm -hmm. is fresh jalapeno skin, right? It's just such a bright pepperiness to yeah. it that complements the Washington pale malt and complements that mezcal spirit and its role in the cask here. And that yeah. pepperiness is mm, chef's kiss. It's that sweet vegetal note that for, for those of you out there that enjoy Glengarry and back when Glengarry was peated, there was always this sort of nice fresh jalapeno note that came through with the peat, and and I find it here. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Mm. Yeah, really, really cracking. You know, obviously we're just we own personal bottles. This is the sharing of personal bottles. Uh, Bill Thomas does not give us any cut of the proceeds from him, um, but so so damn good. Uh, wherever he finds himself, whatever is next for him, uh, we'll be watching closely. So join me in cheersing Matt Hoffman, Joshua. Cheers to Matt Hoffman. Cheers, yeah, cheers to Matt Hoffman. Job well oh. done. Hmm. Uh, All right. Of course, cheers to Bill Thomas for, for selecting this one. So yeah, really quickly. So for just as a sure. reminder, damn sure. This episode was talking about the comments. We promised we would do that. We needed to bring up Matt Hoffman. And now mm -hmm. scientists at w, WSU and many others have agreed that if you, you want go. to enjoy whiskey, do not dilute it past 20% alcohol. I would argue if you want to enjoy whiskey, <laughs> you know what I always tell people, Jason, maybe you do the same. And I know we're getting close to our 35 minutes here. If you feel you need to add water because the water is burning your tongue or whatever, add drop by drop the, until the heat goes away. And that's it. Once the perfect, heat is gone. Perfect. You, yeah. Yeah. You inadvertently no. said if the water is burning your tongue. So I just wanted to, did I say to that? point that out to you. You did. But if the we, we all followed along. Tongue, drop we by drop along. till the heat goes away. Yeah, that's and, smart. Uh, and yeah, that's good. I do always yeah. say add a, a single drop at a time. Dip your finger into some water. Let the droplet fall off into your whiskey and and keep checking it. Keep swirling it. You know, make it fit your palate. That's mm -hmm. <sighs> that's why we're doing it, right? We're back to Bill Monteith talking about flavor. We're chasing flavors. That's it. Chasing so, flavors. So make it there you go. make it so that you enjoy. Make it so. All right. Comment below. Smash that subscribe button. If you want to drop us an email separately, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com or info at singlecastnation.com. No E in whiskey in one nation under whiskey.
or ever. But yeah. All right. And ring the Jason. bell. And ring the bell. This is this is a delight. I'm going to happily finish this and say cheers to you. Cheers to the listeners. And as we try to get out of here, peace. Peace.